This is Kotecki on Tech. I am James Kotecki here with Carrie Liu, co-founder and CEO of RubiCloud. Carrie, welcome to the show. Nice to meet you, James. Thanks for having me. All right. So RubiCloud, as I understand it, uses AI to help retailers better predict demand and kind of understand their supply chain. Is that about right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I'm a regular person who goes to the store and I typically don't think about how products get there. I just show up and I kind of expect that they're always going to be stocked. Can you give me a sense of kind of the, the scope of the complexity, maybe even separate from what you're doing, but just kind of the general complexity that is this challenge, kind of getting things where they need to be? So if you have one single store and you have to determine what kind of products to carry, how often to restock those products, how to price those products, uh, where to display those products in your store, uh, whether or not you want to promote a product over another one, you know, that, that's a relatively uh, manageable task. And if you just take that simple kind of starting point or baseline and you expand it now to your typical grocer or uh, mass drug or merchandise retailer uh, where you have hundreds of locations, hundreds of thousands of SKUs, uh, usually, you know, dozens to even more store formats uh, spread across, in some cases, uh, multiple countries, let alone multiple states, you end up with uh, essentially an extremely complex uh, combination problem around how many, uh, how much inventory to initially order. Not all inventory takes the same amount of time to get there. Uh, how to kind of you know, manage that shelf life of a perishable item like a, you know, bag salad versus something that is naturally non-perishable like, you know, clothing or, or anything like that. Uh, so if you just think about that whole supply chain going from one single store 50, 60 years ago now to hundreds of stores and hundreds of thousands of products, you end up with an extremely complex problem that we feel uh, legacy systems and just, you know, basic econometrics or statistics can't possibly uh, come to an accurate enough prediction on the supply chain and, and all those other variables. And the impact, uh, obviously, is or loses margin. The consumer doesn't get the products that they want. And in many cases now, there's a significant uh, kind of uh, overall kind of global impact in the sense that you've got retailers throwing away stock, burning stock, ordering stuff that they don't need that's going bad and perishable, uh, et cetera, et cetera. If we think about legacy systems or even human brains as kind of old school mm -hmm. algorithms for figuring out what's supposed to go on the shelves and what you're supposed to order, um, you know, if we push this to the limit of what's possible with today's technology, and I assume you would put your own technology forward as the best, then how much better can things actually be? If you look at the forecasting side of the business and we just focus on uh, items that can go bad physically, so perishable items. And we get even more detailed there and we look at uh, perishable salads, fruits, and bag salads. The national kind of range of, uh, of waste for grocers in North America is somewhere between 6 and 15%. Hmm. So what that means is 6 to 15% of those perishable goods are thrown away um, or, or ultimately uh, kind of discarded. Uh, as a result of inaccurate forecasting, um, you know, automated systems that learn about the individual store, the individual region and the individual products behavior and optimizes for how much to carry based off of that, uh, the, the, the improvements are somewhere in the kind of 10 to 40 percent range on top uh, on that. So if you previously threw away, let's say, 10 percent of your uh, fresh produce, you could theoretically now throw away only five or six percent of it. So it's a pretty sizable amount. 
it's sizable financial terms, it's sizable in waste terms, and it's sizable in just pure food and packaging terms as well. Um, so if you look at like your big grocers in North America that are typically 20, 30, 40, 50 billion dollars a year in revenue, you're, you're really talking about material amounts of food waste, material amounts of shrink, and material amounts of financial loss as well. Will consumers in stores see a significant difference if you're able to get into all the clients you want to get into and do your thing? Or is it just kind of mostly on the back end that these differences are realized into the consumer? It's kind of business as usual, or maybe things just kind of going right in the way that they always expected they should. Yeah. So I think the turning point of where the consumer is going to see a good or bad experience is actually when all of these retailers, especially grocers and um, and uh, and kind of mass high frequency retailers, uh, get aggressively into digital adoption. So right now, if you're a consumer and you physically go to the store and you haven't bought anything online or on a, on a third party app or anything, um, if something is stocked out uh, or something is you know not as a uh, as cheap as the competitor and you've been doing flyer comparisons. It's really not that big of a deal because you're you're probably just going to buy a comparable product or maybe if you are really kind of comparison shopping, get a price match or go to the other physical store. Uh, so the kind of accuracy is more of a financial benefit today for the the, the kind of the retailer. Uh, and the consumer is, I would say, moderately inconvenienced. However, in the future, and we're not talking very far away, we're talking one, two, three years from now. When e-commerce and grocery and uh, kind of delivery in grocery or buy online and pick up anywhere in grocery goes from one or two or three percent of the revenue to 20 to 30 percent of the revenue, then you absolutely cannot have anything stocked out because the name of the game is convenience. I need to be able to buy something online pick it up while I'm pulling up into the store. I have 30 seconds to spare. I'm going to pop open my trunk. I expect somebody to put it into my you know, trunk. So there is no such thing as a stock out anymore. If I am buying you know, uh, and getting Instacart to deliver it to me through the Instacart process, if something is stocked out, then I just don't buy it from that retailer at all. So when digital becomes you know, 20, 30% of revenue for grocery and high-frequency retail, the need to have accurate forecasting down to the store skew hour level becomes uh, a kind of a, a mission critical task because you will lose customers if you don't have that. So we're basically moving towards a world where, from a consumer perspective, nothing is ever out of stock. Yeah, and the supply chain should be able to re-forecast itself in pretty much near real time. And what I mean by that is like a, almost on an hourly basis. Do you think that has any broader implications for consumer expectations or kind of the economy writ large? Are there, are there things, and I, I, it's hard to know how to pose this question because you've thought about this a lot more than I have, but are there other things be, that, that having a world where nothing is ever out of stock will kind of trigger or lead to? I, I'm not sure. I think when things are, um, the, the expectation certainly is being driven right now by Amazon and, um, and a little bit by Walmart in the U.S. where you know, things are supposed to be, I don't think Amazon is just driving the need to have everything available. I think what they're really doing is driving the need for accuracy of prediction. It's not so much that I have to have it within an hour or within the same day or the next day. It's that when Amazon tells me it's going to be here the next day at 2 p.m., it is always here 
by 2 p.m. Um, and it is, and if it is not in stock, then there is a ex- amazing customer experience to to kind of you know supplement that as a result. Um, so I think what it is going to drive for the consumer in the traditional retailers is an expectation of a near perfect prediction on when and where those goods are going to be delivered to you. And if if you are out of stock, I think that's still largely going to be okay if it's the minority of events. Um, one interesting thing I, I, I sometimes do is I'll go into a grocer. Um, and we live in Toronto here, and the company's a Canadian-based company. Uh, but also I'll go into like a, a Canadian grocer here, and I will actually pull open the uh, the third-party app for that grocer or Instacart for that grocer if they're on Instacart. And I'll start walking some of the really specialty items in, in the aisle or some of the fresh items in the aisle. And I will compare the quantities that are physically right there uh, to what is being shown on the digital apps. And almost always, those numbers don't add up perfectly. And there are many, many cases where the app will t- uh, tell us that it is out of stock when it is physically there you know, in, in the re- retailer. So there's a lot of mistakes happening. There's a lot of inaccuracy happening in the forecasting of the supply chain. And that kind of, you know, little example I just used is going to get blown into an exponential problem uh, when when these grocers become, you know, truly digital. If we're talking about a future of uh, increasing data, better data, data used in a better way, does that trickle up potentially to the ability for policymakers to kind of have a better understanding of the consumer economy writ large, because if you're talking about being able to make better predictions and better and more accurate ways of knowing what's moving through uh, companies, and you could theoretically talk about that on an economic level, right? Uh, we we could, but we, we don't right now. So we have a pretty firm policy at RubiCloud that, you know, we work with retailers in what we call kind of like a single tenant way. So we deploy kind of blank algorithms on every individual customer, and we train that customer only on themselves. So we don't cross-train one retailer with another, even if it would gain a a greater accuracy across all of them. What I think is interesting, though, that could happen is working with the retailers to either predict where they want to invest in private label or where they want to uh, kind of share those trends and that prediction with their CPG partners like the, the Unilevers and Procter's and Gambles of the world, because there are you know, tens of billions of dollars right now invested in R&D by uh, manufacturers around the world that go nowhere because they're not properly predicting what people actually want. Um, it's just kind of a shot in the dark. And, you know, the portfolio theory, one in 10 products will, will be successful. So let's just keep spending hundreds of millions of dollars on R&D of new products. Um, and, you know, hopefully one out of 10 will be successful. Well, that doesn't necessarily have to be. So we have a longer term vision where the retailers and us can actually work together to take that uh, that data within that individual retailer and predict kind of the general consumer trend either for their own private label benefit or for their CPG's benefits and their partner's benefits. Hmm. As we close here, what's the most exciting thing about running your company right now? I think right now the most exciting thing is just the, the this concept of machine learning becoming software is still very, very new. So, you know, machine learning, buying software where machine learning is embedded into it is a commercially foreign topic still. Mm. The the way you productize it, the way you R&D it, the way you deploy it, the way you even charge for it, um, and, and being a company that's able to 
you know, uh, uh, try to, you know, pioneer the commercialization of machine learning is really exciting because uh, I think that, you know, we're, we're able to set a lot of the rules because we're doing it first. But I also believe that, you know, 10 years from now, I don't think there's going to be a single enterprise in the world that's buying software that doesn't have machine learning embedded into it. Uh, that, that, that would be like today if I started a digital consumer app and I, you know, managed to get a million users and I went to a VC and I went to go raise money and I told them that we aren't using machine learning to understand the customer behaviors and optimize the app and the experience for those behaviors. The VC would think that that's absolutely absurd. Every single consumer app in the world right now has machine learning embedded into it to, 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 to learn and optimize, whether it be optimizing for the content, optimizing for the advertising, or just optimizing for the user experience. Um, so we, we think that enterprise software is going to go the same way. And we're one of the first companies that that is uh, that is commercializing it. So that in itself is the most exciting part. So is that then your real passion, even more so than being in retail uh, necessarily, or is that is that kind of the initial industry that allows this broader project of getting machine learning into? software like sometimes companies have the thing that they're doing right and then there's the broader yeah. vision for how companies actually see themselves yeah i think it's 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 both retail is where a lot of us came from it's an industry we know extremely well uh and it's also an industry that we think isn't going anywhere it's got a tremendous important element to the the kind of north american and, and kind of western european economy um and more importantly we don't think and, and believe in a world where amazon dominates everybody if you look at the numbers, there's you know seven trillion dollars spent in the developed world on on retail goods. Um, Amazon is not a, a seven trillion dollar marketplace, right? So so retail is our comfort zone and it's our expertise zone. But certainly the larger area of commercializing machine learning is what we're the most excited about. But we're also very very uh, uh, kind of specific in the sense that we haven't done what a lot of machine learning companies are doing because we think they're going to fail with this approach, which is going horizontally too wide. So doing retail and insurance and banking and manufacturing all at once and trying to build products for all those verticals at once. We don't think that makes sense. We think that you should pick one massive vertical like banking, like insurance, like retail. And in the next five to 10 years, Dozens of multi-billion-dollar publicly traded companies are going to be created, uh, specializing in in various kind of global verticals. Carrie Liu is the co-founder and CEO of RubiCloud. Thank you so much for joining me today on Kotechi on Tech. Perfect. Thanks a lot. Thanks, James. <laughs>